Welcome to Cloudlandia, Mr. Sullivan. There I am. There he is. Welcome to Cloudlandia. Yes, indeed. from the Northern Ontario outpost. Yeah, and we're having just the opposite weather from what they're having out west. Oh my goodness! How has how has it been? You're too well weeks. for the last three days. It's been very cold and rainy. Oh, that's no good. Oh well. Well, that's good. Well, I've missed you. That was two weeks now. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're we're having a great week. Uh, tremendous exercise week. And I have a CPAP. You know, I use a CPAP at night. You um, use that every use it every night, I guess. Right? You have to. Yeah. So I got it in 2011, in February of 2011, and I've missed five nights. Wow. So you're you're able to nothing. Uh, I've often wondered about that. that how, do, how do you enjoy that? I mean, the outcome <clears throat> of it or whatever. What was the? Uh, you know, I mean, <clears throat> Babs was the one that uh, alerted me to the fact that I snored at night and. Uh-huh. And she would jab me. But what she was worried about is that, you know, what happens is that there's this little flap at the top of your air pipe uh-huh. and it and it closes. And yes. so so your <clears throat> your heart uh, speeds up because it's trying to get rid of the uh, right carbon, carbon dioxide. So it's very, very interesting. We breathe. We don't breathe so much to get oxygen. We breathe to get rid of Carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, and and the so anyway, I went to Canyon Ranch where we go a lot, and the doctor there is a sleep doctor that that we have. His you know his specialty is sleep sleep disorder. Nice. So so I just signed up, and what they do is they just you just pack up for the night, and you, they have a bedroom in the medical center that's you know just like one of their yeah uh, like one of the guest rooms but you go in and then they wire you wire uh-huh. all over your chest and and you know you're wired up and then you sleep half the night as you would anyway you go to sleep mm-hmm. and um, then in the middle of the night they wake you up and they put the CPAP on and and it's a thing that fits over your nose. In my case, it keeps my jaw shut, and then it covers covers my nose. And okay. when you turn it on, it just blows air through the through a tube. Dude, and, uh-huh. and the blowing of the air kind of forces you to breathe. So the machine does your breathing for you, essentially. Mm-hmm. And and meanwhile, they're they're taking a record, and they. They video you, and they also have an audio recording during the night. And then, you know, you get up in the morning, and you go about your business. And then later the afternoon, they have the they have the stats back, you know, oh, wow. statistics of what happened. And it was really quite striking because it was a visual, you know, where they there's a pen moving, and it shows ups yes. and downs. And it was like stormy seas, 
for the first hour, you could see these big eruptions, you know, these big spikes. And the last four hours, it was as calm as can be. It was just a straight, more or less a straight line. Wow. So, so I said, well, you had me on hello, let's do it. And first of all, I found the actual being on the machine actually enjoyable. One is because you don't have to do any work. I mean, you're hard, you, yeah. you don't have to do the work. The machine's doing the work. Uh, and, not uh, yeah, and ever since then, you know, I just did it. One night, one week, we went to Chicago, and I forgot a piece of it. And okay. uh, so, so I didn't do it. And, so you had uh, a whole week without it. Yeah. I, I had five, five days, and it's the only five days that I missed. I always... When I'm packing to go on a trip, I make sure the first thing is. Wow. And what was your experience on the five days? Yeah, well, it was hard. I had to sleep on, you know, I had to sleep in a different position. And I still still woke up and I snored and, you know, the whole thing. So it's one of those, those things where technology really helps. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, and I've, I've well. talked to other people about it. I've talked to other people about it. And Babs has got one now, too, because once I stopped snoring, we discovered that she snored. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. I said, you know, it's sort of scientific. Eliminate the possibilities. Well, I was yeah. the first possibility, and we eliminated the end as possibility. So there was only one thing left. But she didn't realize it because I was waking her up so much. She didn't, re- you know. I mean, we never zeroed in on her. And but I'll tell you how different it is. So let's just take the the first four hours of the night when I was uh, just you know as normal. Um, I, I was woken up 18 times in a two-hour period. So they use the two-hour period as their standard of measurement. Mm-hmm. And that means that about every, what's that? That's about every six minutes. Yes. I was being kind of unsettled by the fact that my heart started racing and it was trying to get rid of the, rid of the uh, carbon dioxide. Okay, mm-hmm. and that's that's considered 18 times, so it's nine times an hour. 18 times during two hours is considered is considered mild apnea. Right. Yeah. In other words, I I interrupted myself 18 times in two hours, uh-huh. and uh, and that's considered mild. And I said, if that's mild, what's uh, severe? He says, oh, you get it with pro football players. Um, and one of the big things is how big your neck is. Right. If you have a really big neck, um, uh, then it has uh, an adverse effect. And mm-hmm. he says, you know, truck drivers, some truck drivers, you know, really. And they said, can be, you know, they'll wake themselves up every minute and a half. <laughs> wow. <laughs> every 90 seconds, you're like. Every 90 wow. seconds, yeah. So with the apnea, it's down to one time, one time during a two-hour period, which is considered no apnea. Yeah. So that's amazing. So anyway, 
But one of the things is I, I sleep better. I get I just get better rest, you know, like I'm really calm. And sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'm just sitting there and I'm so relaxed because I'm not doing any work. And, you know, the machine is yeah. just doing the work. And then it gives Absolutely. you a record. It keeps it keeps a record. You know, it's a it's got a little chip in it and it keeps a record. Yeah, do you have do you use an aura ring as well? No, I did, oh. but uh, uh-huh. it didn't really. The the machine has a record, and you can go through. Gotcha. For example, I just checked it this morning, and over the last seven days, I've gotten an average of nine hours sleep. Wow, that's great, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm swimming. You know, I'm swimming every day, and I'm doing. Yeah, I have a I have a real cardio circuit here because we have hills. Yeah, here and uh, right hills. And so bears, I really yeah. get. I really get, you know, I get about an hour of really good cardio every day. So I'm tired. I'm getting lots of sunlight and, uh, and, and yeah, yeah, it's been great. I mean, I, we've just had a delightful, it's going to be about nine days by the time we get back. And yeah. it's just been, yeah, and it's, you know, and I don't mind it. I mean, you know, <clears throat> if you hadn't come to grips with weather by the time you're 77 years old, you know, you're, you're, you're just, there's no hope for you. Right, exactly. That's yeah. so great. Yeah, well, I thought about you. You know, it's an interesting August first today. By the way, happy August. Yep. Holiday here. Yeah, I was. Yeah, that's right. Monday will be a holiday, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the you said something a couple of uh, conversations ago. We were talking about your. You were coming up on. That was in July, right? Was the first. Yeah, so it was last Monday. Last Last Monday. Monday. Three years, yeah. And so you look at that. You said something that was. Just to explain to the audience what the three years Mm -hmm. is. I hadn't hadn't watched television for three years, so I made it through three years without watching. When I say television, I do watch some videos on the internet. Right. You know, like Mm -hmm. uh, things, but uh, just actually turning on the television and we've got one of those weird systems where you have to do about five things to get the television on and to right. save my life to and save my life today. I can't, I can't remember how to turn the television. You don't on. know the, the, the rain dance you need to do to get it yeah. all to yeah. work. Yeah, exactly. But the, what you said that was really been kind of rolling around in my mind is that there's, I, I'm paraphrasing from memory, but, that there's nothing going on in on the television or out in that world that's more uh, interesting than what's going on inside your brain, yeah. <laughs> inside your own yeah. thoughts, your own. And I thought, man, that is such a that's an interesting uh, distinction that nobody's making. You know, <laughs> I've been observing yeah, well, that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's it's really it's really interesting if you look at the progress of television. Say, mm-hmm. uh, I think probably it became really mainstream in the early 1950s uh, yeah. when you had the when you had the three networks. And and mm-hmm. I read, you know, that Tim Wu is really a great historian of yes. what he calls mm-hmm. information companies. So that would be anything. You know, it would be radio, it would be TV. Yeah, internet and uh, all things like that, movies, uh, 
And what he says is that by the 1970s, and this was a real, one of the major players in the television industry, one of the heads of the networks, and he says, you know, we've kind of got them now because when they sit in front of the television, real life is what's happening on the other side of the screen. Their lives are not real. And he yeah. says, and now we've got them. He says, we've got them. Once we can convince them that real life is what they're watching on the screen, not what they're actually living when the television is. And I always remembered that. And I said, well, we'll see about that. You know, mm-hmm. and, and but for a lot of people, it really is. And then, of course, social media really, you know, took that to the nth degree. That if they're not looking at their, if they're not looking at their phone, you know, and you know, actually interacting with that. So it's kind of like what's really happening is somewhere else. It's not. It's not where they actually are. And Let's play those um, caves. Yeah, it's very much, yeah, I mean, there's some fundamental philosophical philosophical and uh, issues is uh, what's reality for you? Is reality yeah. something that someone else is creating? Is it someone else that you're just a passive observer of? Is that what reality yeah. is? Or, yeah, so, um, you know, and, you know, I think one of the enjoyable things about our relationship is that we do an enormous amount of thinking when we're alone. And yeah. that thinking is really more important. I mean, other people's thinking is useful or non-useful. In other words, yeah. we, we tune in on other people, what other people are thinking, but it doesn't Here's have, I, it's, not, it's not the trump card. It's the trump card is what you're, you know, the decisions you're making, the... Uh, yeah, this is and, where um, I, this is where I, I, kind of wonder aloud about this, you know, like, so I notice that, yes, there's a lot of, whenever I turn my attention inward and with my notebook, I spend a lot of time thinking and journaling and, and, you know, thinking of making sense of what I'm, I'm seeing. But a lot of the stuff that I think about is informed by what I'm observing. And for instance, it's such a less outside input, but I look at what some of the biggest breakthroughs that I've had are things that come from observing what's actually happening right now out Mm -hmm. there. And Mm -hmm. so I look at like, there's not many, you know, it's something we look at it, like we sit in our strategic coach, in our workshops or in our things. And there's not many 55 year old men that are hip to what's going on with Kylie Jenner and Lil Nas Mm -hmm. X. And, you know, like I say that a lot of them have never heard, maybe they've heard of Kylie Jenner, but they've never of Lil Nas X or to be able to understand the backstory of what's going on or Mr. Beast Burger that all of those things are because I spend a lot of time watching what's going on. Um, 
and balancing it, putting it through the processing plant that I've got of observing it, you know, not just, I guess that's a difference of I'm not just taking it in as entertainment or um, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm watching with, with a purpose, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you've, you know, if I can observe, <laughs> observe the yeah. observer here. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that going back because we've had pretty well continuous uh, conversations on a whole series of topics for the past decade. Okay. Yes. That what you have is a particular, what I would say, framework about how the world is developing. Okay. And, and part, part of your decision, and I, and I think all people have this, by the way, I think it's, it's that every, every human being has a particular take on the world. Okay. Yes. And what they look for is evidence from the outside to support their take. Mm -hmm. So you have yes. a take that we've, crossed over into an entirely new way of operating in in the world and yes it's, it's and there's a border between you know the physical world and there's this new digital world that's been created and you had that you've had that for a long time because you 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 know you've actually turned this into different kinds of digital products including your mm -hmm. mapping out of neighborhoods Yes. Uh, that, mm -hmm. uh, that then went on the internet, and it was uh, purchasable. You could actually purchase mm -hmm. the eight-part. I think it's an eight-step process for a real estate. That's right. To yeah, make right. sense where they could actually probably have the same customers over a forty-year period if they wanted to, because those customers would be moving from one type of uh, home to another type of home yes. based on what was happening in their life. And, and in any words, it didn't matter if one person went through all eight, wherever someone was, there was probably another step that they could make. That, that's what right. they got out of that. You know. Or a step down. They could do a step down. They might uh, downsize. They could either upsize mm -hmm. or downsize. And, and also move to a nicer club to a nicer part of the... So it seems to me that you have a, a uh, permanent model that you're working on. And every, every quarter, every year, it's a better model because you have more evidence and more support, and you've thought of new ways of thinking about this. Mm -hmm. My take true. is that, that everybody has this. Everybody has this. That, mm -hmm. And that humans ha don't have general knowledge; they have very, very specific knowledge. Okay, and and it's it's a bet we're making on the future. You know, we, I have a exercise in the next quarter for the ten times group, and it's called "Good at Guessing." Oh yeah, are you good at guessing? I like and that. Then we, yeah, and then we take a look at. What, first of all, because not everybody is. <laughs> right. You know, we're all guessers. In yeah. other words, that Elon Musk is a guesser. You know, you know, you know, everybody's a guesser. And the reason is because the, the futures, the future is unpredictable, and mm -hmm. some people are better at 
feeling out the way things are going that they aren't. And I would say it's because they're more conscious of the model that they've created. I think I think uh, Elon Musk has a probably an extraordinarily well-developed model about yes. how things are going to go. And it puts him ahead of the vast majority of other people. And, uh-huh. you know, you don't have to be... Uh, you don't have to be a hundred miles ahead. You have to be at least so a block to place ahead. your bet and see how it <laughs> see how it goes. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's relative. You have a relative. It's like a wave. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're sitting there and you're watching this wave, and if you yeah start paddling, you might yeah. be on the top of that wave. Yeah, at the yeah. at the time you're yeah. leading. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at every person, they have some sort of specialized knowledge that they've really focused on and developed over the course of their life. The only difference is, is, is that worth, it's, it's worth something to you because you stay with it. The only question is, is it worth, uh, is it worth anything to anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. Because we're always looking for the person who has shortcuts. Right. I'm thinking about like my thinking, I've been consciously, allocating more time to uh, making the distinction of is this time here, what I'm doing now is this, you know, opening my uh, eyes to something new that's going to Mm -hmm. go, or is it, is it sharpening something? But Mm -hmm. I was, I was thinking about some in I was thinking about capabilities and I saw something that was pretty neat. Uh, when I went to the, the virtual dining concepts, um, website there, they do a really good job of explaining what their concept is. They're essentially saying, we know you've got, you know, it's essentially, you've got this, Equipment, you've got the, the capability to do more than what you're, you're doing. That's what the excess capacity is. But when they look at it, what they do, when you strip away the vision of what your particular restaurant is, right? You're left with the core things, which is the equipment. When you look at it, every, every kitchen that in every restaurant, has some combination of an oven, a pizza oven, if they have that capability, a freezer, the ability to freeze stuff, fryer, a flat top griddle type of thing, and refrigeration. So those are the baseline elements that if you've got those capabilities, you can, you can add any of their virtual dining concepts to mm-hmm. prepare their menu, add their vision, which is what recipes, concepts, mm-hmm. all of those things are, you know, preparations, branding, all that stuff. You, you combine their vision with your capabilities. And now you've got a, you've got a, an outcome, an ability. And the, the thing that was, the the thought that I had was the difference between a capability and an ability. Mm-hmm. 
is the capability is the potential to to yeah. do something right but an ability is is actually using realized is using yeah. it that's exactly that's right. a great distinction so that's a great yes. distinction yeah so a lot of people have the capability mm-hmm. to to do mr beast burgers or to do tiger bites or guy fieri a lot of people have the capability but they don't have the ability they don't have the vision mm-hmm. the to do it so when you combine vision with a capability now you've got an ability to mm-hmm. do something mm-hmm. and i thought that's really so i kind of started looking at that like in other situations like that's true well you know i mean and we acquire you know i think the ability improves by actually transforming capabilities into results in other words your ability yeah. to do something that's, you know, and the, um, the number of times that you've done that is a a skill skill yeah. is what comes from this i was thinking about yeah. music for instance if we take the ability to you know create a hit song the capabilities are you know a guitar and keyboard and a bass and drums or any all the other instruments but let's just take those big four anybody that has all of those things has the capability to produce something but in the hands of mccartney and lennon those things, you know, in the Beatles, that became, they've done it better than anybody ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's not even the musicianship of it. There are technically better musicians, you know, it's, it's, you could argue, same thing with the Rolling Stones, yeah. same thing with any of the big bands it's not necessarily you know that they're masterful things it's all on the back of this the reach that they've developed which well is the other the other thing that happens that it happens them. i mean it happens forwards where you have a capability and then you take the capability and produce a result but it also happens backwards in the sense yeah. that you notice a new ability appears that's just on the, you know, it's just on a, it's a single person's ability because I think abilities are, are, are human, you know, they're, they're actually what the human being can do. And then you yeah. have, let's take Lennon and McCartney together. They were dynamite. I mean, they, they yeah. were, there was something about them, you know, writing the music and, uh, yeah. you know, putting the orchestration together and, and uh, planning it. That was extraordinary. And then it got copied, and all of a sudden, the Beatles changed the entire music world. Now you had 50 would-be Beatles outfits out there, and some yeah. of them were quite good. I mean, some of them were quite good. And and and, but they—that's what happens when unique abilities take take advantage of a capability, and they create something new in the marketplace. Then yeah. everybody else tries to imitate. Everybody else tries to copy. Okay, and and you know, and the uh, one really interesting example of that it was the 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 Jersey Boys, the musical mm-hmm. the Jersey Boys. So 
So uh-huh. this is Frankie, Frankie Valley in the Valley. Seasons. Yeah. And it was very, very interesting. So I've seen it. I've actually seen it twice. I saw it. I saw it in, I saw it in Toronto and I saw it in New York. Different guests. Okay. We took different guests. Yeah. And, and it was kind of funny growing up. I mean, I, I wasn't a real someone who was up on the, what the music was being played, but I do remember Frankie Valley and the, and the Four Seasons. So I sat through the musical twice and, and, and then I got home and I went on the internet and I played the original. These were uh, old uh, video recordings of Frankie, actually Frankie Valley, not the actors on stage, but Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. And there were some interviews with Frankie Valley. The, the musicians, the musicianship in the play and the, the voices of the actors who were portraying Frankie Valley were infinitely higher quality than Frankie Valley in the first. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Frankie Valley said, you know, first of all, the beat was much sharper. It was a much crisper beat. And, yeah. and the reason was they had dancing and everything like that. They had dancing and everything like that, you know, and Frankie Valley and the four seasons were a bunch of New Jersey guys who got gigs at local clubs, you know, and then started making records and, everything like that but they were kind of drowsy it looked like uh, the beat right. was slower and they you know he was clearly the superior talent i mean frankie valley just had a marvelous he had a marvelous voice and and everything like that but all the all the singers you know in the broadway and that yeah, it was a broadway play and uh, musical they they were much much superior mm-hmm. uh, than they were. And Frankie Valley says, oh, he says, we could never sing that good. He says, I, I enjoy going to see it. He says, because he says, <laughs> he says, he said, I sit there and I say, why, boy, what we could have been because, <laughs> but yet the original has a quality to it that the, uh, the play doesn't because right. the actors are pretending to be something where the originals yeah. were just being themselves. Yeah. Isn't that something? And that's kind of like the, that's where there's lots of, you know, you're right. There's lots of Beatles cover bands that technically play the songs and play it well, but there's none, there's no, no cover bands in the hall of fame, right? No, (laughs) no cover bands in the rock and roll hall of fame. Yeah. And, but, but the, the process that you're talking about just shows you know, and we've seen this and we've known it in, you know, all sorts of activities like, like, you know, theater and movies and that. We know that there's this pushing out, the, the capability grows, and then every once in a while you have an ability that takes the capability to, to a new standard. Okay. And then, and then everybody, that. and then everybody tries to capture this new thing <laughs> and build it back into, a predictable capability. And then even that, yeah, even that then is, you know, the the reach of it is the most critical thing. That's going to make the difference. There's so many, <clears throat> there's so many situations where people with, you know, amazing skill and abilities 
don't get that's not enough <clears throat> yeah and i, I think know, part of so, it is, it's like the thing yeah. that's not the multiplier that's not the multiplier no. yeah the multiplier yeah. is the reach yeah yeah how how much you're able to get that out into the world yeah yeah i was looking you know, at I mean, a uh, big yeah, it's like streaming, you know, what streaming yeah. has done to the music world. And what mm-hmm. I understand uh, is that Drake, the, you know, the, the singer from Toronto, is the number one streaming artist in the world. Yeah. And he got on it right away. I mean, he yeah. he understood he understood the what the potential was right away, and he, he started doing it. So he's just got a, a huge, huge... I mean, it's in the yeah. hundreds of millions, hundreds of millions of people who just automatically, if it's straight, they they download, yeah. they download. See, that's the, that's a perfect segue because now that I started thinking about, this is what I've been doing with thinking about my thinking here, Dan, instead of watching another Shark Tank episode, I've been turning my thoughts <laughs> inward. Yeah. And this is the outcome here. Well, you know, I, I mean, the whole point is to understand what Dean Jackson is working on, because you're working on a capability that's unique in the world that nobody. The only question is, do you take, do you recognize it as such? Yes, that's it. And this is where the reach of it. This is where, this is where I've been thinking now about the the role of reach in something is whether you know it's somebody in the past has discovered somebody with reach has discovered the Beatles or discovered somebody or recognized that capability or ability and nurtured it and whatever put it into the the world and I think about you know the level this is what I was thinking about that reach i've been trying to define what is reach and really reach is it's not just numbers it's access to attention mm-hmm. right is really what reach is and there are different levels of attention that we have like the tippy top level of attention that you can have is your own raving fans like drake mm-hmm. 200 million hundreds of millions of people that whatever drake puts out they're immediately going to download and stream that mm-hmm. and that's how beyonce every now and then they don't even you know last few times she's done this i was secretly been creating a whole album and then just launches her album just said oh i got a new album and it immediately breaks the internet because she's got hundreds of millions of fans who just go and are gonna consume whatever she says whatever comes out of her mouth right and that's the pinnacle reach asset that we should that we've got that's the target that's what we're moving towards is having our own 
peak reach asset of people who will consume whatever we come out with, you know, then there's a couple of layers on that, that the next layer down from that, who are people who are, they're not your biggest fans, your raving fans, but they know you, they like you, they Mm -hmm. trust you and they'll consider whatever you're saying, if it matches with what they're looking for. And then you're going down to the level of people who know you and like you enough to identify themselves. These would be people who get on your email list, for instance, Mm -hmm. right? They're not a raving Mm -hmm. fan yet, but they're somebody, they know you and they like you enough that they're saying, okay, I'm willing to investigate here, or I'm willing to, I think you, there may be something here. So those are the levels of things, but the other were largely all of these. Then we draw a line that there's now the people who don't know you yet. Mm -hmm. And the highest level of access that you can have to people who don't know you is access, reach access to other people's biggest fans on their recommendation. Like your, this is where influence comes in, right? That Mm -hmm. your, your influence, Dan, is such that if you tell somebody in person who's one of your biggest fans, this is what a referral is, right? Is if you tell someone that they need to um, do this, they need to, uh, if they need marketing, they need to, to talk to me or they (laughs) need to, you know, whatever we, you know, whoever you're recommending, that's the, that's the highest level of access to an, unknown audience. Mm -hmm. Like when you say, if you want to get in touch with the future, then you need to be in Peter Diamandis's orbit. Yeah. Right. Because he's got it all there. And the same thing and same, your collaboration with Gino, with the, with the EOS community. Right. That those are the peak level of, recommendations access mm-hmm. to now you can give somebody platform access where i think about dr phil and dr oz for instance mm-hmm. they started out as you know dr oz and dr phil for four or five years were heavy contributors to the Oprah world, right? They were part mm-hmm. of part of the Oprah. I think they show just they started off producing. as guests. You know, they she That's had what I mean. Yeah. Guests. Yeah. And and you know and, and then, then she'd have featured. them back back yeah. back as regular regular guests. You know, like yes. you know. yeah. And then they'd be featured. Then, yeah. And then gradually yeah. they got their own startup. They got their own because startup platform. And then she it. pushed it. She pushed it. You know, yeah. Like she pushed right. it. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, you know, the, 
biggest, you know, the biggest thing is that there's kind of a, I get a feeling at any given time, you know, in uh, the world right now, which is largely, you know, a media world, one way or another media, you know, it could be radio, it could be television, it could be, you know, it could be, you know, it could be the internet, it could be the social media. So you've got this, uh, you obviously have this whole new force in the world that's uh, basically been created over the last hundred years. And then the the thing is that there's a center of attention at any given time, you know, for, and we've got a good example over the last 16 months, the center of attention has been a pandemic. And then, and then, and then there's 20 different issues, you know, that are off the pandemic. And, and so it's, it's, Kind of like you know, it's like a media hurricane. You know, it's circling and it's and <laughs> and there's a center of it. And people want to know uh, what's the best way for me in my daily life to kind of think about this and you know take action on this and be on the safe side of it. You know, and uh, and and who do we believe that's telling us the news? And I would right. say that there's been probably a Fifty percent loss of credibility in the last year of political authorities in charge politically, and I, I believe there's been a fifty percent drop off in the um, believability of medical and scientific people yeah. on this issue because there's been too much conflicting and there's been too much going back and forth. That pe- people can't get a steady fix on anything. Okay. Well, part of that so people is that say, you've got exposure to dissenting opinions in what appears yeah. to be as authoritative yes. a voice as uh, totally. what used to be in the past, right? You can look yeah. official. Yeah. And the, the other thing is that politicians, by, by definition, are partisan. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's one party or the other party, you know. Yes. And and, and uh, now we're discovering probably that medical authorities are partisan, that they're not objective, that they're, they're not objective. And I think probably the biggest discovery, and it's probably one of the greatest discoveries uh, of my lifetime, is that scientists are not objective. They, they play favorites, you know, that... And it has to do with their funding. Where does their funding come from? You know, and 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 so people are starting to understand that the objectivity of science, you know, is is not a person. That the the, the actual scientists are not objective, but there yes. may be certain things that we just know. You know, I mean, and that's why science took on such a you know such a uh, a high authority that there's just some things related to science, like turning on an electric switch, which is so predictable and dependable. You say, well, it's like electricity, you know, if you put yeah. the switch on this way, you get the electricity. But the individuals themselves are not, you know, I, I think they're lacking in authority because they're just ordinary people. You know, they got a job. And they don't represent science. A scientist is not science. A scientist is um, someone who studied science and has passed certain exams and has gotten a degree and everything else. 
But most of his life, he's not being a scientist. Most of his life, he's just being an ordinary individual. And then uh-huh. certain hours of the day and so many days per week, he's doing work, which technically qualifies as science. So he, so I, I think that, but your point about the fact that there's now general awareness of what scientists are and scientists are not, politicians are politicians, not just... There's more knowledge, uh, there's more, what I would say, more people can make judgments about what these people do than in the 1950s, for example. Yeah. Well, there's more, and this is what it's confusing now, that there's more, we're bombarded with so many competing voices, too, right? Yeah. Like, it wasn't, I mean, in the old days, when, if Walter Cronkite told you something, then that's that's it, or if the president said something... That's, well, you know, there's that it, right? famous, uh, there was this famous battle in the Vietnam War. It happened in uh, in uh, early 1968. Uh, Johnson, Lyndon Johnson, was president. And he had been overwhelmingly voted in because he was the vice president when John yeah. Kennedy was assassinated. And he came in and it was a blowout election. But then things started happening during his four years. Uh, you know, you, you had all sorts of um, negative things happening, including economic. And and there was, it was called the Tet Offensive. And mm-hmm. it was a an attempt by the Viet Cong to take over the south of Vietnam. And it was badly defeated badly defeated, the, the American troops, especially the Marines, just devastated the Viet Cong. It was the end of the Viet Cong. The Viet Cong did not exist as a, as a, you know, as a important battle group. It now became the North Vietnamese Army. But Walter Cronkite um, and all the media made a decision that the Americans had lost that battle. And he came on and said, no, this is another setback, setback for America. And Lyndon Johnson, the evening, was watching Walter Cronkite. He says, well, he says, if uh, Walter Cronkite thinks it's lost, then I'm dead uh, as a politician. And about a month after that, he said he wasn't going to run for president. uh, And it came directly from Walter Cronkite saying to the American people, this is not a good war. This war is lost. Isn't that amazing? That there's the no... fact, when they've yeah. done the historical, you know, the examination, is that the the, the, the communist Vietnamese had better PR in the American news media than the president of the United States had. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that... And so we begin to understand that it's the perceptions of things, not the reality of things, that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And now anybody can be Walter Cronkite. That's the thing, right? Yeah, yeah, we're all, yeah, that's the voice. Well, it's like Joe Rogan. I mean, Joe Joe Rogan gets 100 100 million every day, you know, and there's this minor rebellion at uh, at Spotify, uh, you know, who, you know, paid 100 million. What's it? And what is it? Is it Spotify, is it? Spotify, yes. Yeah, Spotify. And there's this minor rebellion among the staff that, you know, that he's saying things that are 
incorrect. They're politically incorrect. He's got all sorts of opinions that we don't agree with. And and so you've got, even inside your companies now, if you look at why the Coca-Cola and Nike and, you know, and all these companies yeah. are coming out in favor of what I think are politically partisan positions, you know. And the reason is, is that the there's a 15% of their uh, workforce who's going to leak things, is going to cause, make them the news. And yes. They're going to object and everything else. Yeah. And CEOs don't become successful CEOs if that's going on inside their company because it drops yeah. the, the share price and Wall Street goes down. If investors don't want any friction in their right. They, they don't want to see any friction, and and but it's a it's a minority, and the, probably these people were protesters when they were in university. They they cowed their professors, they cowed the administration in the universities, and now they're cowing CEO, the CEOs and management of their company. And that's all possible because of digital communications. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ability. You know, you you wonder like if you all those things pointing in the same direction, kind of thing. The root end of it is probably in the transparency family, I guess. Right? There's no there's no room for darkness and shielding things. Yeah. Yeah. Even the perception that uh, things are being covered up is, yeah. uh, is a fact. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a it's a fact. Yeah, yeah. I think you know, I I've read a lot about the history of the impact of you know publishing, which had a huge impact on literacy. You know, not, not hardly any before the printing press, hardly anybody was literate. Very very uh, small percentage, and uh-huh. then within within about 200 years after you had a very significant um, growing population of people who were literate. So, and they had access to their own documents. They had access to their own authors. And I mean, in a very small version, but you were alone with your thoughts. In other words, that the, the thing that people fear most, if you're totalitarian or you're a dictator, is that people are alone with their thoughts and they're making decisions that you don't know uh-huh. about. Yeah. And I think this is why the Chinese have tried to establish a uniform, you know, kind of suburb what a surveillance society. They they want to be able to see is is this people is this person even looking at us wrong, you know? Watch right. his eyes. What kind of thoughts is he thinking if his yeah. eyes are doing that, you know, and everything else. And that just shows because they have so much to cover up. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, I mean, they've been a total secrecy society forever for yeah. 4,000 years, for 4,000 years, you know. It's, yeah. Uh, well, now you look yeah, at people it, say, walking around with our, with our goggles that show there's Dan Sullivan and here's his social score and his credit score and his net worth and his everything is accessible. We, if yeah. there's no... There's no no hiding. Really yeah. interesting. That, or you could just show up on time, do what you say you're going to do, finish what you say. Right. So the people, 
yeah, that they come to that own conclusion because yeah, that's yeah. what I mean, leads uh, to. Yeah. That's, you know, have I ever told you that little routine of uh, furniture store, two furniture stores on the same street? The which one was the best one in the on the block? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then they opted. Let's say it again because I think that's. It's so yeah, true. Well, it's, it kind of shows you what happens. So one of them puts up a sign: the best, the best furniture store on the street. Uh, on on the street. Uh, so they were on the same street, and then the other one says, "Best furniture store on the block." The other one said, "Best furniture store in the district," and then the city, and then the suburb, then the town, uh-huh. the city, and then the county, then the state, then the country. And then the planet, and then the solar system. <laughs> yeah. And then the, once one of them got to the solar system, the other one said, "Best store on the street." <laughs> exactly. We're local. Yes. We're local. Yeah. We're real. We're real. Yeah. We're out from the solar system somewhere. We're real. And I think that happens. There's this one upping that goes on. And you get yeah. further and further removed from what the check writer or the customer is actually looking for. Right. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think there's something. I mean, that was the. I want to get a couple of these on the record here for our to to pick up again for our next um, conversation okay. because yep. there was a couple of more levels of this reach, right? Like, so your own reach has different levels of it, flavors Mm -hmm. from the people. It starts with them knowing you all the way up to them being your raving fan who will do anything you say. Then there's other people access to their layers of that same relationship that they have with people because everybody's got reach that is layered like that. Like there are certain people Mm -hmm. that if you just say to them, you need to go to this person. It's a done deal. They're done. Yeah. And that's what we all want anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, we really, that would be the best thing is that we know who the right, who is for something. If we mm-hmm. have a who, that's the best thing. But if we don't have a who, I would hope that if you have a who, you can turn me on to your who of it. Right. Well, it's a, sh- a shortcut. You know, uh, the the book that I'm sending out to everybody for the uh, September, October, November, the next quarter coming out. So I bought a book, and it's called The Secret of Our Success. And yes. uh, and I think I've told it. The author's name is Joe Heinrich, and uh, mm-hmm. just a fascinating guy. But the, the thesis of the book is that humans are the only continually learning shortcut species on the planet. Why have humans dominated all the other species on mm. the planet? Uh, uh, you know, and the, the really big ones were mostly killed off, you know, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I mean, the, the ones that are really big and dangerous. They didn't last very long. We, we killed right. them off. And how did humans do that? We were, you know, we're not really strong as creatures. We're not particularly yeah. fast. We can't climb trees very well. And everything like that. How do how do we do this? And what it was is that we 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 just combined our shortcuts to create shortcut breakthroughs. You know, yes. like, uh, going from hunting to agriculture, from agriculture uh-huh. 
you know, to, you know, and that, you know, learning that uh, you don't kill off, you don't kill off other people if you can make them into customers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Great breakthrough. Great breakthrough, actually, you know, and, yeah. uh, and everything like that. And, but it's the, it's the, is the other person have a thought? Do they have a, a way of taking action, a way of describing things? That saves me time and energy. Right. That's exactly. I'm sitting here listening, listening to you, and I'm, uh, you know, you know. Well, one thing I'm going to put in a request right now. Can you get a top-notch expert on ghost chickens? Ghost chickens. Ghost chickens. <laughs> ghost chickens. Ghost uh-huh. kitchens. <laughs> ghost kitchens for our summit next February. Could you could you get somebody here? Well, I think I could. I was going to reach out to have Robert Earl on the Isle of Marketing Zoom, and I was thinking about him for the for the Genius Network um, annual event. But it might be a good thing for the for the summit as well. Well, I mean, you could you could do them all because yeah, uh, you know, the, uh, the vast majority of the free zone people don't go to Genius. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think but he it, would it be. Matter. I mean, yeah, but yeah, because the, he's got yeah. a history of being that visionary. That when I look at this access to reach, he yeah. clued in early on when he founded Planet Hollywood that yeah. access to people's love for Bruce Willis and Sylvester Stallone would translate yeah. into. Oh, they've got a restaurant. We got to go try their restaurant. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, maybe he'll be there. Maybe he'll be there. (laughs) Yeah, maybe he'll be there. Yeah, Yeah. you're in the Planet Hollywood uh, restaurant in Kiev, the Ukraine, and hey, maybe Bill, uh, Bruce Willis will be there tonight. That that shows you the power of that, though. Yeah. So I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep exploring this because that. What I found about if you don't. Barring you having them and exhausting the opportunities of other people who have them is we, the blessing is we can do it with outside reach through because now we can buy ads to show to people who are specifically looking for what it is that you offer. So if you're, if they're searching for what it is you do, They've got, you know, coaching for to grow my business. That's yep. something people are looking for. You can get right in front of those people with AdWords and with YouTube ads based on what they're mm-hmm. searching. On Facebook, mm-hmm. you can find an audience of where they might be and put up a billboard. And then the the closest thing is you know, this falls into the horse for sale and the idea of being proximate to where somebody's about to make this decision. Like if you're, if you have a horse for sale in a, you know, in a where place where somebody's looking for a horse, all you need is a sign that says horse for sale. (laughs) And that's the same thing I thought about Snapple, when Snapple launched their mango 
flavor. They contracted with the Mango Growers Association to put stickers on 10 million mangoes that said, now available in Snapple. So you're going right to the people who already love mangoes with a message to market match that the person who loves mangoes is likely to buy Snapple. And that's a, you know, that kind of thinking Vista print started out. What launched them was they got their literature inside every box of Microsoft publisher that was sold. Yeah. So people buy Microsoft publisher, they're going to be desktop publishing and making brochures and business cards and stuff. And they're going to want to get them printed. So, well, it's like Paul Abel. Paul Abel, yeah, you know, has exactly. these great, uh, you know, he's got these great collaborations with uh, payroll companies who automatically send out, yes, you know, payroll statements to their, yes, you know, to 50 million people. It's now 50 yeah. million number of payroll companies. And he just puts, Compliance information gives them the latest compliance information related to, you know, work rules regarding their local city, their local county, their state, uh, the federal, and any change. And it satisfies the requirement for the employers that they've informed their employees. And he's even got a thing now that automatically tracks employees. So if they move, which a lot, you know, they're now remote learning and they've gone to another state, automatically the records are updated and the information now goes to them pertinent to where they are now. And, uh, you know, but he's using someone else's capability to, to enhance, enhance his. Yeah. Yeah. And we do that. And we do that. And Mm. we're the, and in the species of people who do that, there are people who are at the top and people who are at the bottom. <laughs> That's right. They have yeah. the capability, yeah, not the ability. Every, everybody, everybody's learning. It's is just, everybody's learning something. The only question is, is it stuff that individually moves you ahead? Yes. Yeah. So I've been thinking like you. I said, what would Dan Sullivan do? As I think through that and I think, no, because you've got a very unique model of this is the idea. This is the example. What's the thought process that I have to evaluate this by and what's the example? So how would I apply this? And I thought like you could, I could present that idea of the proximity things like the horse for sale. You present those ideas and the thinking process would be who's got where are proximity things that you know that are available what to help people yeah, I mean, navigate the, the capability navigate I would other people's one reach area out. that one area where I think I've really put in on something that was meaningful to everybody is why are you confident during this period and other people aren't mm. so that was everybody's experiencing you know, since yes. the COVID started, I said, so yes. why why are you thinking positively and other people aren't thinking positively? And then people 
analyze it and they, you know, they use their experiences. And the other thing is, why is this Zoom thing such a breakthrough? So here's the thing that we're going to, we're having our best year ever right now. Yeah. Historically, this is the best sales year ever. We had our best June, July. Usually our lowest months are June and July mm-hmm. um, in the sales year. And we just had two really super June, July. That's uh, awesome. But the other thing is that we have <laughs> about a third of our clients who uh, said, well, I'm not renewing until until it's in person again. Right. So last year, somewhere, you know, at, between March and the end of the year, they said to themselves, well, we're, we'll just hold off and when you come back. So what's happening now is our starting in September with Chicago and then all through the rest of the year, we're just getting this massive movement back of people who we were technically what we called out clients. And right. Was, they didn't renew, and now they're coming. In. So this would be our best. <laughs> we call it out back in OBI. Yeah. This would be our best OBI year ever. So our best sales year and our best OBI year. And and I said I think you know part of it is that we just went right at the uh, central problem of their confidence going through this, and then their use of this new technological breakthrough. So. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And that's going to be, yeah, hopefully the uh, the old Delta maneuver holds out, or the Delta variant does, right? We're at Florida yeah. just set a record yesterday for all of COVID, the highest number of new cases in since the beginning of it. So we're, Florida's yeah. like past its pinnacle. And still, yeah, but you know what they've a, discovered that the only issue is hospitalization, mm-hmm. uh, and the numbers for the Delta are the for hospitalization is really really low. Well, and that's good. Part of the reason is that communities have really, really increased enormously their capability to handle people and diagnose them and everything else without hospitalization. Okay. And uh, so the, the head of the CDC, we're past time, so this won't be part of the program, but the CDC, this woman, Walensky, Dr. Walensky, and mm-hmm. and so Brett Bayer, who is probably the best evening TV um, guy on all of television. He's on Fox, and he has the 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock with Brett Bayer. And he's pretty, you know, he's pretty kind of factual. He just lets people get out what they have to say. So he said, he said, I just, Dr. Walensky, he says, I just want to point out uh, some numbers. The first number is that you have here is that the 164 million Americans have been vaccinated now. 164 million. Is that correct? And she says, uh, yes, that's correct, correct number. And he says, now, in, in this Delta thing, and I don't know what uh, he was looking at specifically, but he says, here are the numbers for the number of reported cases, and here's the number of people hospitalized. And it's like, 
against all the population in the United States, it's like 0.0001.002. He said, this, statistically, this doesn't even show up as a problem. And she says, and this is, this is where authorities lose their, lose their uh, credibility. She said, mm-hmm. well, the, the numbers don't mean what they seem to mean. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's what she said. Yeah. And Brett Bear, you could just see his eyes. He, his eyes just kind of went strange for a second. He says, what do you mean the numbers don't mean what they seem to mean? He says, the number, you agreed with the numbers. Why don't they mean what they mean? And she says, well, these are passive reports. And I said, passive reports. Yeah. She exactly. said, what you have to have is active reports where uh, and he says, well, which uh, method have they used throughout throughout the COVID period? And she said, well, it was passive, but now we're changing the rules and what counts. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And people are at home and they're kind of saying, is there, yeah, is there like... a rerun of roller derby we can watch? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But it just shows you that. Thank you. Huh? Yeah, yeah. In other yeah. words, we've changed the rules. We've changed the rules. So that's crazy. Uh, yeah, it's actually it's actually five minutes to twelve. We've we've changed that that when the big hand is eleven, it actually means it's at the top of the hour. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> anyway, great joy. All right, Dan. Yes, always. Always fun. a joy. I'm, but I'm give some thought to that. So well. Getting somebody in to talk about that. That. Uh, you know, at uh, the summit, that would be great. I will. Yeah, I think you would be great. Uh, I'm going to try. It'll be live. I mean, it'll be live. Yeah. We can, you know, we can have a big screen if we want, but it'll be live from, you know, I mean, we can have them live on Zoom with a big screen and because it'll be live in uh, Phoenix. Yeah. When are we doing that? End of February. End of February. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Okay, bye. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.